Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods at Early Adopter Research, and I'm here today with Rob Woolen, the CEO and co-founder of Sigma Computing. This podcast is called Designing Enterprise Platforms, and today we're going to talk about how Sigma Computing's products can be a component inside an enterprise platform. Sigma Computing is created to bring the spreadsheet paradigm to the world of business intelligence and data analytics. This is an idea that has come up before and has been explored by companies like 1010 Data, Datamir, and to some extent, Looker. What we're gonna talk today with Rob about is how he got the idea, how he's implementing it, and how it can play a role in the modern data landscape. So Rob, please say hello. Hello everyone, thank you for having me today. Yes, this is gonna be a fun conversation because I think that you're fitting into a space that is really quite interesting and uh, you know, it'll be cre interesting to see how you're breaking new ground. So, um, first of all, uh, why don't you give us the elevator pitch for what Sigma Computing is doing? Sigma is a spreadsheet interface to your cloud data warehouse. Our goal is that you have an interface that you're already familiar with, and what's novel about it is that everything you do in that spreadsheet interface is translated by Sigma into SQL. And so it runs against your existing cloud data warehouse. And our goal is that you can build even the most complicated queries in that interface. I see. So in this sense, it is a little bit like Looker, and we'll, we'll explore this a little bit later, in that you're using a SQL generation capability in order to translate between the repository and the spreadsheet interface. I believe we're actually different than anything on the market today. And so while we do translate to SQL, our interface requires no modeling, it requires no knowledge of SQL, and requires no coding. And so our goal is that even a, even a novice spreadsheet user can sit down and build a query that even the best SQL programmer in the world would be challenged to build by hand. Excellent. Well, that is going to be an interesting story to get into the details. Before we do that, would you please just tell me when you got the idea for Sigma? I mean, often people you know, have this moment of inspiration in an odd place and then start pulling on a thread that then leads them to start a company. What happened with you? Sure, so prior to this whole adventure, I had spent a little over six years at salesforce.com. And among my roles there, I was one of the CTOs and I led uh, the platform product management team there. And as you can imagine, of course, Salesforce is, a, is of course a cloud company and has uh, all the data in the world about uh, customer relations and all of the service and sales activities of all of its customers. And I remember thinking during my time at Salesforce that despite having all of that data, it was still so hard to make business decisions without resorting to spreadsheets and tiny bits of data on someone's PC. And so after I left Salesforce, I spent uh, some time as an entrepreneur in residence at Sutter Hill Ventures. And while I was at Sutter Hill Ventures, I met my co-founder, Jason France. And Jason's background, he came from the, the system side. He was an advisor at the time at Snowflake Computing, which was building a, a cloud data warehouse. And it was at that point that we really saw the mixture of these two worlds. We saw this amazing bit of cloud data infrastructure that Snowflake and BigQuery and Redshift were building. And then we saw the, the set of business users that 
that were having uh, all of these sort of questions they wanted to answer, and we're still using spreadsheets for it. And so at a very high level, what we, the idea was really to try to combine those two worlds. And that's, what, that's really the problem that we've been trying to solve at Sigma, is leveraging that, leveraging that cloud data warehouse, but marrying it to that, that spreadsheet interface. This is an interesting idea. And um, what I find interesting about it is that everybody's attracted to the immediacy of the spreadsheet. And like you said, when you're doing you know, serious work, the reason spreadsheets are so popular is that the analysts can get their hands on the data and manipulate it using formulas and, and, and massaging it into just the right format they need to then do the analysis. And I believe that there's a very strong uh, representation of, of the user-driven innovation paradigm uh, in this because when you give a user the tools of the trade to do something, you get much more innovation than when you have an intermediated process. And so I'm really excited about the idea of the direct access to lots of data you know, in a spreadsheet paradigm. But the problem is this gets really complex really quickly. So usually if you look at like the Salesforce data model, for example, the Salesforce data model is got lots and lots of tables and then the Salesforce product brings them together into a very pleasing user interface. But if you looked at the, the Salesforce data model, it would be dozens of tables that would have to be connected to make sense. Now they're, they're, they're designed that way for efficiency, but it's, it's very complicated to create queries if you had the raw data to make it into something sensical. So what I'm wondering is, how are you going to solve the problem of the complexity of combining the data into a way that then you get that spreadsheet you want? And you, you mentioned it, you said that you'd really like to empower a user to be able to make a query that could be very, very powerful without sort of knowing that they're doing it, I guess is the way I, it seemed like. So, seems so, so I guess the, another way to say this is, how are you solving the problem of query generation without, knowing, without letting people know that they're actually doing it? Right, I think this hits on a critical point in the challenges that face a lot of the existing BI tools today. We've had tools that have gone all the way to the self-service side where people extract data and play on their PC, and that fails in the modern world because the data is out of date or is too big to fit on a PC. And then the reaction to that is to go all the way to the other extreme where the only data is data that has been centrally modeled and you can't change anything unless it's already been built into that model. And so with Sigma, we're really trying to say the right place is to be in the middle. We want that interface to be accessible. So the interface has to be something you already know how to use. You already recognize the power of that. And I believe the only interface for that is the spreadsheet. But you need to solve both of these problems. It needs to be accessible by people, but it also needs to be trusted, centrally modeled, and have that ability to have governance and security. You have to balance those two worlds. And that's, I think, one of our really sort of core philosophical beliefs that's that's different than what I've seen in the market today. We really want to combine the best of both of those worlds. Well, let's talk a little bit about other choices that people have made in designing these systems. In, as you mentioned earlier, um, you, you say you don't have a modeling language, but you know, those of us who are familiar with the product know that Looker you know, does its magic because it creates LookML, 
which is a way to model all that data. So if I ask somebody from Looker, how would they deal with all this, this data in Salesforce? They would say, well, what we would do is we would do a look ML model that would bring it all together into a coherent set of views. And then we'd allow the user to use the spreadsheet interface to dig in and, and dive in and pivot, you know, in that view that we've created using our look ML. If you looked at something like uh, 1010 data, for example, they have a, a way to bring all those, those uh, data tables in, and then they have a language where you, you can enter a statement, enter a statement, enter a statement, and do the kind of things you would do in a complex query. You just do them incrementally, one statement at a time. Now then you can you know, snapshot those statements and make those into a subroutine or a reusable thing. You can roll them back. But that's the way that you get to a really complex query is by entering you know, one statement at a time. Now, of course, if you were gonna do this with you know, a SQL query, uh, I, I can't imagine how you would you know, present that to a user to make it simple enough so that, that it would achieve your goals. What is your you know, method for allowing people to deal with the complex combinations of, of data you know, and bring them into this, to this spreadsheet paradigm? Our answer is no second-class interfaces. So let me explain what I mean by that. As you rightfully pointed out, in many of these products, you have one interface where you can do all of the powerful things, and then you have a second interface where they let users explore or do little tweaks on top. We think that is fundamentally broken. Our goal is that we have one interface where you can do everything, meaning you can build out reusable reusable uh, spreadsheets that other people can leverage and build across. So if you want to do things like centralized modeling, you can build those as a base. But you never have to switch between these two different interfaces. And so if you think about the SQL example you brought up, the way you do this in SQL is you build out reusable bits of SQL, either in views or common table expressions. Sigma is very similar to that idea. We build out reusable spreadsheets that you can compose on top of. So just like you can reuse a view in SQL, you can reuse a spreadsheet in Sigma as a join or as a source. And so to take your Salesforce example, I can build out a bunch of sheets that build out say common things, that common entities that people would wanna use on my Salesforce data as in that Sigma spreadsheet, and then other people can leverage and build on top of that. So how would you do a two spreadsheet join in a way that um, allows all the power and flexibility of the kind of things you get with SQL, but not confusing the user and, and asking them, oh, do you want this an outer join? Do you want an inner join? You know, all of these things matter when you're combining data and you can't, you can't decide for somebody. They have to be able to choose. Right, so I think there's really two answers to that question that we provide. The first is that as an administrator, as a data person, you can actually pre-set up uh, joins like that. And so for people that want to leverage your choice, they can just leverage that and go. Now, so I, case, just to make sure I understand what you're saying, you're saying that you could already have, if I have spreadsheet A, spreadsheet B, I could have spreadsheet C, which is a, a join of those two. And then exactly. who wants to use it could just access spreadsheet C. Exactly. Okay. And you can indicate in the platform to say that that is something that you would recommend as someone who is knowledgeable about the data. And for a lot of use cases, that's a nice way to, to really get people started. But the other side of this, again, to go back to really sort of playing both sides of this uh, spectrum, 
you want to enable those end users to experiment with other choices. What if they want to join it to data set D that you've not yet modeled? Or they wanted to combine the data in a way that you know, they're not sure is right yet, but they want to experiment with it. And that is a lot of the, the magic of a spreadsheet is people being able to ask what if questions. And I think a lot of the failing of BI to date is because how do you ask a what if question with live data in a, in a governed world? And that's, that's really sort of that, all the things that are great about a spreadsheet, trying to bring that to the data warehouse world. And so how do, if I wanted to create a new join, what does what, what the user see when I say, what, what is the interface paradigm that makes this possible for your average bear? So it's giving the user a visual interface and giving them feedback. And so everything we do in our platform, we look at how could the system assist me? Say for instance, I'm trying to do a join or a filter. All of these types of things, we want to show you feedback on what's going to happen when you do this. What will the data look like? What will happen? And so all of these sort of um, interactive steps give a much richer experience than just writing code and running the result, having it come back. It's more of an interactive experience, just like in a spreadsheet where you might sort of iteratively work through things and sort of play with the data. We're trying to bring that same type of playful iterative experience. So in, in a sense, it, it is similar to that, the idea that, that we talked about with 1010 data, where the idea is you can look at your spreadsheet and then you say, wait, if I want to add another spreadsheet and join it to this, what would it look like? And you can take that step. Oh, it looks like this. Whoa, it's way too big. And, I'll, and I didn't get what I want. Oh, let's undo that. Okay, we'll go back. Now let's try a different approach. And then along the way, you get guidance and help and suggestions that, that help make, make it a little easier. Exactly. A common thing I point out to people is that when you're working in a spreadsheet, no one ever thinks, here's the next 30 things that I'm going to do. No one ever plans ahead like that. But if I had to ask someone else to build a report for me or to write a query for me, I have to describe exactly those 30 things that I want to go see. And so that's really sort of the fundamental difference. It's an it's a iterative, exploratory interface. Now, some of the... Uh people who there's two types of companies I want to I want to compare yourself to now one is the data prep companies and the other is uh, Dremio which is like a catalog and uh, query uh, and you know ETL delivery sort of company um, let's start with the data prep companies you know Paxata and Trifacta have done a lot of work to allow people to bring data in and their interfaces are all about cleaning data looking at columns, understanding bad values, replacing them, having a guided experience for that kind of cleaning so that you can then apply a set of rules to a bunch of data sets and then create a clean version of it. Now, with Paxata, they bring all of the data in and clean that data right there. With Trifecta, they allow you to create a a definition of the cleaning rules and then apply that as a batch job. Uh, I'm, I'm getting the impression is that you are working on the data itself in place in Salesforce that you're, I mean, in, in Snowflake or in any of the uh, cloud data warehouses, you're not bringing those, all that data into a, a repository to work with. Correct. So in our environment, the data never leaves your data warehouse. We're always running against the, the, the data in that single place. Now, 
I think the other industry trend that, that you're sort of poking on here is we've seen a lot of transition from ETL, where people would do a transform as part of moving the data into a data warehouse, to EL and then a much later T, where the, you know, the data gets loaded into, often that data could be semi-structured, you know, there's lots of, of variants that we can sort of explore along on that path, but being able to do late bound transformations and being able to sort of iteratively work with that data, I think is, is really a key part of this. The, the data you know, cleansing and wrangling vendors have done a lot of interesting technology, but I think the biggest challenge is that data is not, not in a state of either being dirty or clean. It is, a, it is a, you need to manipulate the data to meet your needs. And every time you join in a new source or continue to work with the data, you might discover another transformation that you need. And so trying to, to sort of build that as just a pure pipeline, I think is a challenge for, for a modern business that has you know, ever-changing data. So the other company I wanted to talk about a little bit more is Dremio. And what they've done is they've created a technology that allows you to assert a table paradigm over a wide variety of data sources, whether they're APIs, flat files, traditional data warehouses or data, data sources, and they make them all look like a table. Then on top of that, they then have a query engine where they, they bring everything in using Apache Arrow and a variety of other technologies so that they can create a very high quality query experience out of data that may be in all sorts of different repositories with all sorts of different operational characteristics. In addition, they then have a cataloging layer and a, they, and a transformation layer, which is similar, where they go through transformations you know, based on uh, the, the tables and, and, and it's, it, it is grid-like. I don't know if it's exactly spreadsheet-like as much as it is, is grid-like. Now, they of course are not writing back to the sources either, but what they are allowing you to do is to get a query that is much faster than the underlying data would um, uh, be able to do otherwise. Now, the strength of their approach is that they now no longer have to be limited to the data in the data warehouse. Um, uh, that now, now the, the difference in their approach between yours is they are not be able to do a read-write you know, uh, uh, um, uh, trip. And I assume you can do that at any point in your, in your process. So from a technology perspective, we're largely agnostic to something like uh, Dremio. So it, from, a, from a pure perspective of what Sigma is, we're translating that spreadsheet interface right now into SQL. We could translate to other things as well or other dialects of SQL. And so we could certainly leverage something like Dremio. But I think when you look at Dremio, they hit so on a- in, in other words, you could use them as a data source. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think, the need for Dremio and, and products like that bring up sort of an interesting trend in the industry, which is this drive towards the semi-structured data. And that's something that we've really been very focused on. Some of the earliest use cases we've seen around a lot of these uh, cloud data infrastructures, people that are sending essentially raw like event data or you know, tracking data, events, logs, all of that, straight to that data warehouse. And then, uh, you know, every row may have a slightly different shape. It doesn't fit necessarily in a traditional relational schema. And one of the problems that we focused a lot on is, how do you make that type of data accessible to a user who, you know, it can't be pre-modeled because it, it varies so much. And so how do you take 
semi-structured data like that and actually make it accessible to someone in marketing or finance or any of these types of departments. And you know, that was a core goal of our interface is not just to, to deal with you know, relational tables, but actually deal with semi-structured and JSON data. And so, but you do rely on the data warehouse's ability to handle that data to do that. Like, for example, Snowflake can cast its queries over JSON data. And I believe that several of the other large cloud data warehouses do the same thing. So you're, you're basically saying we will be able to do that on anything that, you know, any data warehouse that is able to handle that sort of data you're not going to add a direct access to that data in addition to what's in the data warehouse. Correct. So we're leveraging the data that's in the, in the warehouse and leveraging its support of, of JSON. But I think getting back to your point on, on Dremio and sort of the transition here, being able to do those transformations very late in the process when you actually are looking specifically at the data that you want and giving you a visual interface to interactively pick you know, which fields, what structure do you want to extract out of this and play with? That is something I've only seen in, in our interface. Got it. Now, there's two other questions I want to answer or ask you before we open the field to other things you want to talk about. The first is the place that you fit into the data supply chain. In general, most data supply chains have the following layers. They have the data sources, wherever the data is coming from. They have the landed data, which is the data that comes into the environment that's being you know, part of the data supply chain. Now, sometimes that access is through APIs. So the landed data is essentially a view through an API. Sometimes the data, that landed data is actually a, a copy of the data that's moved you know, into that, that place. Sometimes that copy is kept up to date with change data capture. But at some point, you have this surface area that is all of the data that you can deal with. And I call that the landed data. Now, that landed data is structured according to the original repository. It would be like if you took all of the Salesforce tables and stuck, stuck them in you know, sp spreadsheets in, or stuck them in tables in Snowflake, then you would now have you know, the, the, the landed data from Salesforce. The next level is the model data, where you're taking all of the different data and you're creating the model entities like user, customer, product, you know, geographies, whatever, and you're creating either copies or views of that data so that you, then you can look at that and you know, have it be coherent for how you want to think about your business or the problem at hand. Now then, the, the, the trip between the Landed data and the model data may require either heavy or lightweight ETL. So the heavyweight you know, ETL is like the complex stuff. Maybe it's data prep, you know, like that, that to, do, to do data cleaning, you know, or maybe it's complicated you know, transformations. It's stuff that an average user really couldn't do. Now, lightweight ETL is the kind of stuff that you see people suggesting that is done in you know, the, the data catalog type companies or the, or the Dremios of the world where, you know, it's smaller, easier transformations done on well-behaved data. But you, you may have some lightweight ETL and some heavyweight ETL on the way to your model data. From your model data to your purpose-built data, which is the next layer, 
that's mostly using lightweight ETL. You're, the, the model data is well-behaved, and you're using you know, lightweight ETL to create new versions of data that is exactly what you want for that analysis. And then that purpose-built data is used by applications or in an, an, an analysts and everything. The impression I'm getting from you is that Sigma is really going to shine in that layer between the model data and the purpose-built data. That's where you're gonna create the most value. You're not really about creating that model data, although you could. Really, you're more about that taking the model data and making it into the purpose-built data and allowing people to do that for themselves using a very familiar paradigm. I might speak to it in a slightly different way in that I agree there are many layers, but traditionally when I've seen this drawn by any existing BI vendor, they draw it as a pyramid. And at the top is sort of this, you know, like you're gonna, it's going to end in a dashboard or a chart or some sort of visualization. And I think that's been essentially the biggest challenge and in, to my opinion failing of a lot of the existing BI tools is that they really sort of focus it on this very centralized, very limited model. And what they ignore is that almost every user in the company, what they're really doing is just trying to download data and get into a spreadsheet and then they can go play with it. And so I think the, the model that I would think of is I like thinking of it as layers, but I, each of those layers I would think of as equivalent in importance and magnitude and also sort of the, the, the line between the layers is a lot fuzzier than I think uh, vendors that fit in one of these boxes traditionally like to, to uh, talk about it. So I would think of it as you have data that comes in from the source world and you are gonna have many different use cases for that data. It can be that you're modeling it. It can be that you're writing direct SQL queries. It can be that you're building dashboards. It can be that you're building ad hoc reports and explorations. All of that work is gonna work together and that's really the goal that I have for Sigma. So would you say that in your current customer implementations, people are working more at the beginning of this pipeline and these layers or toward the end? We really see everything across the board. Let me give you one example. So uh, Lime, the, the um, scooter and bike rental company is one of our uh, customers. And when I look at their challenges, Lime is a rapidly growing company. They have people in essentially every city or municipality around the world. And as you can imagine, the metrics that, you know, say Paris wants on scooter usage are gonna be different than what San Francisco wants or what Sydney wants. The next part of this is that every scooter and every bike they have has GPS on it. So you have massive amounts of data and you have essentially an unlimited number of questions that you may want to ask about that. And so what they're doing with Sigma is that, yes, they have a relatively small central data team that does some centralized reports and essentially is a, a resource for people on how to, how to build and, and model some of that data. But their goal is to really enable everybody throughout the company because they're going to have different questions, different needs, enable all of them to use Sigma. And that's how you end up with hundreds of people doing the analysis as opposed to just, you know, five or six in a central data team. Got it. So the idea is that you're going to take advantage of anybody who can use a spreadsheet to get what they want and make it work. That's the, the idea is. And, and then I'd love to, it's a later date, dive into like how I would do a fiendishly complex query 
you know, gradually using your guided process because I think that's a, a crucial process. Now, now let's go to the next challenge, which is really a difficult one. If you know about the way that spreadsheets work, you have spreadsheets all over the place in most companies. And sometimes the spreadsheets become artifacts that are you know, really important and become the canonical version of something. Oh, let's look at the X spreadsheet to see what's going on. I believe every single company in the world is run on a cash flow forecast done in a spreadsheet because there's really no way to, to handle the complex modeling. And, even, and if you even go to a complex modeling environment, it's, there's no, it always breaks at certain points and you want that, even, even if you model chunks of it, you then have to bring those into spreadsheets to finish the job. So I can understand that, you know, all of these, these, these spreadsheets start growing and growing and growing. And then because you are connected to a data warehouse, you are able to uh, access these spreadsheets. Now, uh, and then, but now you have an explosion usually of instances of spreadsheets. And you, you don't really, the popularity of the spreadsheet paradigm brings with it this massive governance problem. And so after a while, the question is, how do you find and how do you catalog, you know, and how do you understand which spreadsheet to use and which spreadsheet is, is authoritative? And I assume that you have to be able to solve this problem. Otherwise, you just create a, real, a, a different kind of mess. Instead of a mess of a bunch of spreadsheets that are disconnected from the data, you have a, a mess of spreadsheets that are connected to the data and scalable. It's still a mess. So how do you deal with that mess? That's a great question. And, and very much uh, you know, to, the, to the point of wanting to, on one hand, enable people. On the other hand, balance it with governance, centralized management, um, accountability, all of these types of things that, that you really sort of, I think we uniquely want to balance. And so in our system, there's a few different things. One is that because it's, you know, it's not on people's PCs, it's in a cloud environment, you get things like search. I can go find what, have other people already done this analysis and can I reuse it? You get things like administration where I can actually say, as an administrator, I want to annotate this. I want to, we call badge it. I want to mark this as saying, this is a trusted source. This is the one that I want to recommend you use. You can even do the very valuable thing of the exact opposite. This is done wrong. And I want you to not use this anymore. I want to replace all occurrences of this. You can understand things like lineage. Where did this data come from? Where is all the, you know, what data is it connected to? Who's using it? All these types of things that you get in a cloud first world that you don't get in a traditional spreadsheet world because you're all running around on your PC. And so those sort of core ideas of never move the data, run it in a connected environment, always with the live data, in an environment where you get things like version control, publishing, all the sort of things that traditionally have been only available to software developers, we've brought into this world so that you get sort of that balance of governance with the self-service. Got it. And so in a sense, you are incorporating some of the ideas that have been implemented in companies like Alation, where you have a highly collaborative environment about the queries that are used, or uh, in Podium Data, which was bought by Click, which was a data marketplace, which was very much about tracking the signals about who was using which data and, and how it was being used and the lineage, et cetera. So 
it seems like some of those ideas are, are finding fruition in, in your, your interfaces as well. Exactly. Okay. So now we've gotten, I think, an understanding of, you know, where you're at and what you're doing. And so to sum up, the way I would say is that you really are trying to, you know, take that spreadsheet interface and abstract it and make it as useful as possible. Now let's talk about some of the hard questions about what you've been able to do now and what you'll be able to do in the future. So one of the things that's really cool about Dremio's model is that they can do cross-repository joins very easily. They could have a Snowflake data repository and a BigQuery data repository and a Redshift data repository. And inside Dremio, they can join against those, even though it's a lot more difficult to do such a cross-repository join. What's your uh, approach to multiple data warehouses? So in general, our advice for people is to pick an underlying bit of data warehouse infrastructure and essentially move all of your data there. And so whether it was Snowflake or BigQuery or Redshift or uh, you know, in the future it could be Dremio, we leverage that technology and its capabilities. So we're not trying to build a separate place for your data. We want your data to at least logically live in one place and we will leverage that. And I think I might have misspoke earlier. You aren't a read-write system, are you? We are read-only against the underlying warehouse, but because you can write essentially arbitrary formulas, you can compute whatever you'd like. And so one of the advantages really for a lot of users and the data team is that they know if they expose this to a lot of people, they can't actually break anything or damage anything because it's they're playing, um, you know, essentially with with a, their own view of it. Got it. And and to going back to the uh, cross repository join, do you think that that's an important feature uh, to add in the future? Is that would that be an important thing in, you know, the fully realized version of what you're saying, or do you think that most people are naturally going to have one of these warehouses just because that's just the way that most people will organize their data? I think it's an interesting question. It's a challenging one a bit to predict. Federated databases have certainly been an idea around for a long time. I think where I've seen traction is people having, say, semi-structured data in something like an S3 and wanting to mix that with uh, structured data in a, you know, a traditional warehouse. Now, how you actually go about solving that, whether it's a, you know, an additional feature in the data warehouse, whether it's a separate platform like Dremio, I think the jury's out on that. Um, you know, for selfishly for the Sigma case, I'm agnostic. I'm, I can build off uh, either of those things. I just need a service that can, can run the queries for me. Excellent. And so how has the work been divided in the customers that you've seen? One of the things that, that happened when I sat down with the people at Paxada and I tried to have them just clean up my address book that I had dumped out of Salesforce and loaded into Google, it was amazing in that simple task how a variety of subtle and annoying data joining data quality problems came up. And what you would think would be relatively simple was not. And so there's an inherent complexity to a lot of the data that really matters you know, that you understand it. And so you can't just say all data is self-service because I can somehow use a tool like Sigma to get at all the data. 
because the complexity and understanding the nature of that data is not something that is easily to make self-service. So in essence, you're going to have to have layers of people with different levels of expertise. The way I think about it is in this productized analytics framework that I created. At the bottom of it, you have a custom kitchen where you can do anything. You know, that's, 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 that's the, 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 the most powerful layer, but it requires the most skill. Then up from that, you have, say, um, dinner in a box, like where you get a bunch of components and you have to put them together yourself, like Blue Apron. And above that, you have something like Starbucks, or an artisanal brew, where you have lots of options and you can you know, decide that you want a half-calf soy milk you know, latte with extra squirts of mocha sauce or whatever. And, and somebody who knows those options can do it. And then finally, you have what provides the, the most scalable value, which is like the McDonald's value meal, which is just a simple dashboard that answers a question in the context of a best business process. And so have you noticed in your implementations that a hierarchy of users who are supporting each other has developed? So that each user is doing the self-service they are they are able to do, and and um, and and moving forward that way. So, on one hand, I think we break your model a little bit, and that uh, we would argue we have a simple interface, but have virtually all the power of SQL. Um, but that wasn't really your your question. Your question was was no, really no, more yeah, about yeah yeah yeah. What I'm arguing is it's the technical the technical capability. I believe you. It's just that knowing a data set knowing the idiosyncrasies of the data set, knowing how it's related to other data sets, knowing how to manipulate it, these are complex things. They get really complex really quickly. And you know, it, it matters hugely to the results, the decisions you make. Like Looker has a great paper on asymmetrical aggregates where they talk about how they have a quality of the Looker uh, modeling language that creates a much more consistent view of data because they abstract away all the mistakes people use, make in SQL queries that, that introduce these, these, these different aggregations. So I'm, I don't think you can have everybody have their hands on all this data. You can't get away from this complexity challenge. So, Absolutely. So, so I guess what I'm saying is how has this resolved itself in your early implementations? Absolutely. So what we see is generally a partnership and it's an iterative partnership in our customers. So you will see, just like in the Lime example, you will see a central data team that is still managing the governance, that is still a resource for uh, the company, that is still uh, often the place where they do some of this centralized modeling in Sigma. And then you will see a much larger number of users that are working on top of that data or even sometimes with the raw data itself, but with uh, the full knowledge of the data team under the security guise of the data team. So you can still you know, choose what data you want to expose and how you want to manage permissions. And then, so part of it is that centralized uh, push up. But again, it is then also a balance with, we see in early implementations that you'll see you know, someone in the marketing department helping out someone in the finance department, right? It's a peer-to-peer -peer model as well. And so, we really feel very strongly about, we don't want to go to the full extreme of, you know, it's only centralized modeling data, and we don't want to go to the full extreme of it's just the Wild West and you can just play around on your own. We want the best of both worlds. 
Got it. And so what you're saying essentially is if I'm at one of these hierarchies, I always want to be able to grab a new set of data and incorporate it in, you know, very easily. Absolutely. We never want you to feel like you are limited. I don't want you to feel like I can't do this because I have to ask someone else to build the report for me. If Got someone it. else has already built a report, I want to be able to leverage that. Do you have... How is your catalog run so that people can find the data besides the tagging and stuff? Do you have like a, a, a catalog hierarchy, that sort of thing? Yes, so we have, uh, so we have a few uh, sort of organizing concepts in Sigma. We have the notion of a organization, which is typically uh, a company, similar to like an organization in Salesforce. And then we have groups that we call teams, where you can have uh, essentially arbitrary collections of people. And those teams and those companies can actually own and host content. So it sort of works like a, like a folder system where you might have sort of structure some data under you know, sales or under marketing uh, and manage both permissions and um, organizing your, your content, just like you would organize content in, say, Dropbox or Google Drive. Got it. Um, now, is there anything um, else that uh, Sigma, any properties that we haven't discussed that you'd like to bring up? I think there's a couple interesting bits. So one is that we've hit a little bit about because we're a cloud system, we have really sort of this underlying intelligence and knowledge about what's going on in the system, how the data is related, how it's used, what's, what's important uh, that is really sort of unique to cloud-first systems. I think if, if you've built for the cloud, you can build this type of thing in. If you've built for a world where you know, people might have PCs or might run you know, in an offline environment, then you really can't do that. And so that's really sort of something we've scratched the surface of right now. If you look in our product, we have a, a feed right now that will show you, you know, from a timeline perspective, what are people doing in your company? What analysis are they doing? How can I discover that in a, in a push model where it's actually shown to me as opposed to I have to go search for it? But that's really just the sort of scratching the surface of what we can do in our environment. And that's a lot of the, the vision over this year is to really start to expose that intelligence to, to everyone in your company. And it hits on a lot of the problems that, that you've been pointing out of, you know, how do I get to the most important information? How do I know what other people are doing? How do I leverage someone else's work? I want to make all those very seamless for even business users. Got it. Well, Rob, this has been a fascinating conversation. We, I think we've gone through and, and seen what exactly Sigma is all about. I think that any of our early adopters who listen to this podcast won't have any mystery about what Sigma is up to. And that's, a, that's the whole idea. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to future conversations where we can get into more interesting uh, con discussions of, of how this all works. Excellent. Thank you for having me.